Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. Now, when you begin to open up, it's amazing what God will start to say. And everybody is going to deliver in their own way, but still it's a word from God. So just hear what he has to say. God's been talking with me, uh, dealing with some personal things in me, but uh, it probably is for everybody. Um, I am really good about cutting myself down when I mess up and I see myself mess up and you know you could say well maybe that's the voice of the enemy whispering in your ear and you're just repeating what he says you know maybe it's just me <laughs> maybe I'm just you know I get mad at myself I get frustrated when I mess things up and I don't do what he's told me to do or just step outside of what he has said and then I cut myself down over it. And so he began to deal with me. He said, I didn't come for a perfect people. If you were perfect, there'd be no need for a savior. So, you know, and in my mind, he began to say, you know, if you're perfect, stand up. And if we look around, anybody here who's perfect, stand up. Now that we got the perfect ones singled out here, why? <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, we, uh, I tend to look around at other people and say, well, Glenn's got it all together. He's the pastor. <laughs> and then my mind says, you know, what I know comes back to my mind. And I say, no, Glenn's not perfect. We would probably like to be. It would be nice but we're still an imperfect people. We still need him. It's not that we want to mess up, but it's okay. He didn't fall off of his throne. He's still there. Well, since we're such perfect people. Thanks, Mike. Um, I just felt like God said there's several people here, including me, who need to be reminded that in, in the Bible, in Luke, it says he has numbered every hair on our head. Wow. Now, for some people, that's not a hard job. For others, Julie, I, I don't know how many hairs you have on your head. That's a lot of hairs. But if he knows how many hairs you have on your head, do you think when he says, be anxious for nothing, that he knows that little stuff that bothers you? That little stuff that 
we say, well, I, I'm not going to ask God about that. That's stupid. You know, we're praying for people with addiction. We're praying to see things changed in our city. That's the kind of stuff we're supposed to pray about. Because we're not perfect people, we should be going to him with all those things that we say are little. You know, are we sad for some crazy reason today? Are we short-tempered for some crazy reason today? Whatever it is, he cares about it, and he cares about you and all those details that make up your everyday life. So for those of you who don't think that your issue is important enough to take to God, that's a total deception from that enemy of our souls. Because every issue we face is important to God. And he wants to hear about them. He wants to help you with that. And before you know it, it's not an issue. So don't be afraid and don't be thinking that you're not good enough or you're not important enough or you're not anointed enough or whatever it might be. You're not saved enough. That's how we get more saved and more perfected is we go to him about those things, especially the things that we tend to push aside and say are just not important. If it's bothering you and holding you back, it's important to him. So be anxious for nothing. Take it all to the Father in prayer. Children can be released downstairs. I, I'm always just amazed at what God does to me those two words from two different people set up something that I've been searching for for a week and that's how to really get into some of the things that I'm going to be saying. Somehow we have allowed our thinking to be uh, sidetracked, uh, deflected, however you want to put it, into what's important. We've allowed uh, fashion to tell us how we should be dressing and cause us to be frustrated if we don't dress that way. We've allowed uh, the, the beautiful people to tell us what our body shape should be and how we should look. And the truth is, they're just skinny. <laughs> the thing, <laughs> Randy, you and me know about that, don't we? The thing is, We've allowed so many things to distract us. And these two words that Mike and Chelsea have gotten this morning bring our thinking back to the fact that we're human. We're human, but He's God. And so we live in this, we live in this thing that often in our mind is contradiction. We know a lot about who we're going to be, supposedly, because what Scripture says. But then we have the reality of where we live. And if we get deflected by that, then we're never going to grow because we're always going to be in expectation of something else rather than realizing that God's at work in you, around you, through you right now. 
Now, there's three primary things that tend to distract us and to deter us from the importance of our place in God's heart and in God's awareness. Um, I'm, I'm just going to go through this, this part of it fairly quickly, but don't forget that Scripture declares that God is mindful of us. Now, there's, there's two facets to that word of Him being mindful. One of them is His mind is just full of His creation. He's thinking about you and me and, and creation all the time. And, and his attention is turned toward us. That's the second facet of it. So why would this be true of one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present? All I have a, a blog or an article written recently and put on the Internet by Nelson Masinde, a man which I greatly respect. And he, he was talking about these foundational things that we need to get back to in our thinking because we've, we've been so distracted. But we're so prone to getting caught up in one aspect of life and ignoring others. There's three major, as I said earlier, there's three major uh, things, I guess, that, you, that distract us. One is so, so, so simple. It's, we get distracted by how we're going to make a living and then if we're focused on that and distracted in that, we get all caught up then and I'm going to get my share and more. I'm going I'm to have this and I'm going to have that. Before I move on from this one, can I just tell you that in Scripture, there's only a few things that we're guaranteed. And I know about all of the promises. But who were they to? And you can make them yours, but here's what we were guaranteed. We were guaranteed as we follow him to have shelter, to have clothing, and to have food. Those things are guaranteed. And we can relax if we have those. Now, let's move on, though. The second thing is who we are as a human being. That uh, our, and we, and when we begin to get distracted by who I am as a human, taking the spiritual out of it, I get worried about personal standing. I get worried about personal recognition. I get worried about my position at the job or my position in the church. I get worried about how I'm treated by other human beings. And none of those, hear me, none of those are real. And why, why do I say that? Because most of what we suppose in being treated by other human beings is just that. It's supposition. We think they have treated us some way, when in reality they weren't even thinking about you. And it will shock them if they know what you think they just did. And we, we get all caught up in that. And, and the other thing that we get so caught up in is, who is God? And what does that mean for me? Uh, you say, well, is that bad? If you get caught up in it, yeah. Because God, you notice as you study Scripture that God makes no effort to prove His existence. None. He just assumes that people with half a brain will be able to figure out there's a God and that He created all things. And, and He says such things as, in the beginning, God. God who, God was, God did, God is. Never an attempt to prove that He is. 
That's why it's so useless and fruitless for those that ask us, want you to prove this? And ah, I'm, not going to take, I'm not going to spend any time on that. If you need proof, you're all caught up in your own mind, and you're going to need delivered out of that, and I'm not the deliverer. He is. So you just, just think about that. But in, in thinking of who is God, we get focused on the getting or not getting the ownership factor. And we, so so we, we began to decide that since God blessed me here, that now it's up to everybody else to get what I got or to stand in pride of what I got. And we try to build our idea of God around that. In the Old Testament, they called that Baal. <coughs> um, if we're not focused on the getting, we begin, to, we begin to fight for attention, spending all of our time fighting for ourselves. And, and then we, when we get to the whole God factor and start to wrap it up, we start to elevate whatever or whoever we embrace as deity. And we would elevate them to a, to a lofty, super lofty position, unreachable, untouchable, requiring us to measure up. And that is very tempting for everybody because God is so amazing. Amen. How, how do you explain God? That's one reason I make very few attempts. Because my little brain, this won't, it won't wrap around that and be able to express it. But this I know, and that's what he has said that he is, and that he's a father to me. That changes everything. Now I don't have to focus on a super lofty being who is out there somewhere. You know, he is out there somewhere because he fills all and is in all, but he's right here somewhere too, if we'll just figure it out and, and begin to respond to that. But I don't have to struggle with those things. Now, as I often remind you, one of the problems that we have in this generation is we're caught up in the middle of the story. We try to identify everything by what's happening right now. And if you're not careful, that will catch you up. But before I move on with that, just let me ask you, how does your life reflect some of the things that Jesus said that our life could be? How does your life reflect the yoke is easy and the burden is light? How does your light reflect the joy unspeakable and the fullness of, of his approval and his representation? And to me, that's something about what Mike was saying. Our thought processes, if we'll let it, will take us completely out of the fullness of glory because the fullness of glory means that I have a full understanding that he accepts me. And I, there's some little something been rolling around on Facebook, and I can't quote it exactly, but it says something about... God's not at all surprised by the mistake you made today. And he took care of that, and he knew it before he saved you. He knew that you would make those mistakes, so he took care of that issue. I think it says something like he took care of your stupid before he formed you. <laughs> or maybe he understood your stupid before he formed you. I'm so glad that was so good, because i got a whole lot of stupid to offer him. And I, just when I get to thinking that, that I'm supposed to be at this, this age where wisdom begins to express itself, I begin to express stupid. I don't know if any of you older folks can relate to that or not, but that, that's about where it, where it comes to. And, but we need to realize that there's a place in God that is peaceful. It, it reflects joy. 
and it reflects righteousness, and that's when the kingdom is getting in touch with us. Now, um, when we get caught up in the middle of the story, then it's all about the pressure that's around us in this culture. You know, you can get very, very distracted when you look at how many young people are addicted these days. But you know what? That's not where my focus should be. My focus should be that there is a God that has an answer to all those things and that those stories are being told us for two reasons. One, so I'll pray, and two, so I'll look an opportunity to bring what I know of God into that situation. You know, I think that some of it comes from our not having a clear intent or a clear picture of the intent of our Creator. And so we, we had to thinking that Every time, every time we wrap this up and start to ask these questions, we start thinking, what do I have to do? I've asked numerous people over the past couple of weeks I, from the team that's working together. I, I kind of, we threw, kind of threw this assignment for this message out there, and nobody bit. And I knew right away that I was going to be, I was going to be the one handling this. And I've been thinking about it. And, you know, the, the question, why am I here? And if you've never, if you've never thought about that, then there will come a time in your life where things will get rough enough that you'll be asking God, God, why did you ever create me? Well, why, God? And I, I, I kept terrorizing Rafa with these questions while he was here. I, want, I do that with these young men because I want them to think on a level deeper than just what's the next assignment, what's the next meeting, what's the next teaching. But I, I cost him several nights sleep. Because I would, I would ask him these questions right at bedtime, and he'd get up the next morning all blurry-eyed and say, I've been thinking about what you said. And <laughs> I love to do that. I, I like to mess up their world because, you know, these things, are, they're not easy questions. And it, it's all right. You can have these, these easy answers, but they, they never quite work. So I want you to think as we're moving on into the message for a few moments, I want you to think about a young couple as they think of having a child. And I was so glad to see Kayla and Nathan here this morning with, with Eleanor doing so well because I'm going to use them as an example again. But for when you start thinking about a family, it's a lot more than just a sexual encounter. It's a lot more than just the passion of the parents. You begin to think, can we afford this child? Can we give this child what it needs to come to its fullness? But here's what they don't think of. We're going to have this little girl, and she's going to be a politician. She's going to be in Congress. They don't think about that. Thank God they don't. We're going to have this little girl, and she's going to be a super teacher. She's going to, go, she's going to get her master's and then her doctorate, and she's going to be in demand in every university in the nation. No, you don't think like that. We're going to have this baby, and whether it's a boy or a girl, we just pray that it's healthy. And this baby is going to express our joy of being together, and it's going to express our family to the world. That's what it's going to be. And now they, would, they probably wouldn't have put it in those words, but I'll guarantee you, if you think back through the process, those of you that have grown children, you really might have had some ideas what you wanted them to be, but surely you were smart enough to know that you couldn't force them to be what your idea was. They're going to be what God puts in their heart. Now, if, if, you're going, if they or you are going to be good parents, you don't have everything all planned out. 
You want to know this child. Uh, you, you, want to, you want to really know them. You're looking forward for that interaction between a child and its mom and dad. And you know that your child will have gifts and abilities and personality that will make them different from any other child on the face of the earth. And a lot of times parents will contend for that. Don't try to force my child to be like you. And I had to run interference between my, my mom and, and my child. I, I had to just say, you know what? You need to stop this. Because if you don't, she's going to be pretty scarce around here. The thing is, the, every child, Eleanor's going to be different than Kayla. Going to be different than Nathan. She's going to be what God has made her to be. And they're going to help to support that along the way. That child will be developed, identified, and encouraged to be who they are as Nathan and Kayla come to know her. As they, as they know her, they will, they will recognize different abilities and they will cultivate that. They will hear what she has to say and they will work to develop what her idea of life is as long as it's not harmful. Why? Because they're good parents. Now I would say to you that our God is a good God. Amen. And there's a song that we sing that He's a good, good Father. And folks, we don't often take the time to look at God in these ways. We, in matter of fact, a lot of times we don't take the time to look at God's side of it at all. We just, we just want to know what we have to do. It reminds me of the children of Israel when they sent Moses to the mountain. Moses, go up and get a list of what we got to do. We're not taking time to go into the presence of God. I don't like myself very much. If I go there, he's probably going to kill me. Read the story. But you go find out what we're supposed to do and come back down and tell us. Taking away God's ability to be a good, good father. You know, it, when, when all of the other stuff of the law is added in, it gets to be very intimidating, but those Ten Commandments are basic. Pretty much what anybody that loves God is going to be doing with their life. Isn't that amazing? But, you know, God just wanted to talk to them about life. And, you know, if we will work with God and understand that what He wants us to know about Him is that He's a Father, then as a church and as individuals, we will be a pretty good mothering agent on the earth. But we've got to understand Him first. So, why am I here? And this question, there are many questions. What's my purpose? What was I created? Why was I created? What? must I do? I've already addressed that a little bit. Let's take it back. That's what, that's what Israel was saying. When they, when they said, go get the law, they were saying, go ask God what we must do. God was saying, come, in, come, come up here to the mountain and let's talk. And they were saying, oh no. What must we do? Think how much of your doctrine day to day centers around what must I do out of what Mike was saying. And then being so appalled because we can't do it. Being, being so messed up in our mind that we don't stop to think, you know what, he's not surprised by my mess. And he really loves me. Man, if you can relate that to the world, we'll fill these seats that have become empty up. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. I think it would be good to leave the middle of the story and go back to the beginning of the story for a little while this morning. And God blessed them and said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, one of the most foundational parts of Bible study is called the law of first use. I just read to you the first time in the Bible that the word blessed is used. We will bless them. Now, this just simply means that you find the first place it's used and then you follow through that word being used throughout the Bible. Pull it all together. Throw out the Scripture that doesn't apply to that first usage. Look at them all and you get a real good idea uh, of what the Bible intended by that word. And God blessed them. That word blessed means to bow a knee, to show approval, and to confer favor. I think to me, to me the most significant part of that is to bow a knee. It doesn't mean I say, Caleb, I'm going to bless you, and he comes up and bows his knee. It means that if he comes up, I bow my knee. And the significance is I'm giving my life to you. I'm going to, I'm going to come to your level. And as we work together, we're going to rise together. And we're going to be something more than we ever were before. And it confers favor. Now to confer, is, there are two parts of it. If, if Sarah and I were to talk together, we could be said to be conferring. But the other part of it is that we grant you something. That it's it, no real reason. We just grant you something. And in this, in blessing, God grants us favor. An illustration for confer that I always like to use was back in, it's been some years ago, but I believe it was the Rockefeller family was living in, in Arkansas. And the dentist for the family was in Tennessee. When the child had a dental appointment, they would send the Learjet. And the pilot, under orders from the father of the family would take that child and make sure it got to that appointment and then receive the child and fly it back home. It's a little bit outside of my lifestyle, but that's the way it happened. It just so happened during one of those dental trips that the patriarch of the family died. And that 11-year-old boy that was on that plane become the inheritor. Now conferred on him was all of the responsibility of that family fortune. He wasn't yet ready to do anything with it, but conferred upon him. That pilot had been, he flew out there by orders of the patriarch. He flew back under the orders of the son. And that's what it means to confer, and God blessed them. He conferred upon us favor at a time when, when we weren't ready to receive it, at a time when, when it, it really doesn't mean that much to us because we don't know anything about it. But now we have the authority of the kingdom conferred upon us. And what have we done with it? How has your life reflected the blessing of God that He has said, I will come now to your level, to your dimension, and we'll work together and we'll bring my dimension and your dimension together. And you're going to show the world favor. Now, there's so much that, that this says, and I'm not going to try to cover it all. But just, just realize that, that this is a major thing that we don't often think about. Instead, we think that there are promises that must be claimed. And we spend all of our time memorizing and speaking those promises and we never get to know the Father.
Now, as you know him, he'll speak those promises to you. And he'll talk to you about those promises and they'll become yours. But as long as you see them as a list to memorize or little, little pieces of paper in a box on the coffee table, as long as you see it like that, you're never going to get them. Because you don't have the knowledge of the Father, the one who's able to bring you, the one who has conferred favor on you, the one that has said, come on now, together we'll overcome these things, these things that are so difficult. And these things that, that the powers of darkness like to beat us up over. This, all of these things, and we, we miss it because we live our lives always thinking that something's going to change in me to the point where all of a sudden I'm in command of this situation. God's going to restore the kingdom to Israel, to me as a son of God. When all of the time he said, come on, come with me. I, I know that the kingdom is mine, but it's now yours as you walk with me, as you know me and as I know you. So uh, when the Bible says there that at Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. The beginning is the first in order. I want you to see why this is important. The first in order was that God prepared everything for man. The Bible does say the earth is the Lord's, but it says that He has given it to us. Now, let that, let that in the first in order, the beginning was that God, God done all these things. He created all this stuff, and then He gave it to men. God went through all the creative process. He brought His light, His life, and made it available. And then He put it all together in a way that will work. Now, there's so much to that. It was God that decided that the moon would be connected with the tides and the waves. And that that would all work together. It's God that decided that the weather would be created to where it would move across this world in a way that is a boggling to the mind and we still don't have that much knowledge about how to predict it. As God said to Job, he, he said, where were you when these mighty waves were crashing on the seashore and you didn't build anything to stop them, but I just scattered a few grains of sand and spoke to the waves and said, come this far and no further. And they responded. And God says, now I'm going to create you. I'm going to create man. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to bring you into existence. And if you walk with me and know me, I'll teach you to live like I live. And I'll teach you the life that I live. And you'll be my expression on the earth. Does that, does that mess with your mind? It messes with my mind. No problem, no problem there. Now, <coughs> just as certainly as a mirror reflects your image, God intended that you reflect His image on the earth. Psalm 103, verse 14, For He Himself knows our frame, and He's mindful that we are but dust. And before I go further, think how that must be so satisfactory to God. To look at us and everything, even, even those of us that have no concept really of who we are, think of how it must give Him satisfaction to see you functioning. That He knows that in Him you live and breathe 
and have your being, that it's all in Him, that He knows that you are upheld with the Word of His power, that He has spoken, and because of that you live. What satisfaction it must give Him. Because when He looked at the creation of man, He said, oh man, that's really good. You know, God has no problem in saying what's true. He looked at everything else and said, that's good. But when He looked at man, He said, oh man, that's really good. That's very good. Oh, Isaiah 63, 16, For your father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not recognize us, you, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from old is thy name. So two things in those two scriptures. One, he knows you're just dust. He knows about how he created you. And the other one is he's our father. He's the one that brought us forth. He's, he's the one that wanted to create family. He's, he's the one, one that wanted His representation to be on the earth. He's the one, one that wanted to uh, further this relationship that was between Father, Son, and Spirit. And He brought you forth. And He, he took that place as Father. Now, it seems commonly accepted as people come to know God that they say this word, Father, but do you really ever just think, Okay, now what is God's responsibility as our Father? We're always saying, what must I do to be a child of God? Well, you've done that. You accepted that you are, and that's really what you need to do. Now, what's He going to do as I walk with Him, as I talk with Him, as I get to know Him? What's He going to do? How's He going to act? And too many times we measure that by our earthly fathers, but you know... Even though we're from the dust, our dusty ways don't surprise him. He knew. He knew about this. Um, but think, think of it from his view. Don't you think that he often remembers when Adam drew his first breath? That it all worked? That he breathed into his nostrils that first breath of life? Don't you think that God, as a father, would remember that? Just, just remember, those of you that have children that are grown or almost grown, remember what a delight and responsibility it was when they cried the first time, when they, when they drew that first breath. Now, think how excited God must have been when you drew your first spiritual breath. When you first responded to the Spirit of God that was crying out, adoption to you that was telling you I want you to be a part of this family I want you to be a part and he knew all of the all of the baggage you had come you would come with because you'd been in the system what do I mean by that we used to take in teenage foster children and I'm telling you they came with baggage why they'd been in the system and they responded to love from the system. They, they didn't trust. They, they acted out trying to control things and on and on it goes. But what, what were we doing? We were giving them a chance at the life of our family. Folks, we're all adopted. God brings us in knowing that we're from the system, from this world culture, from all of this. And He brings us in knowing that, saying, I'm going to give them a shot at family life. I'm going to give them a shot of being brought into my kingdom. I'm going to give them a, a, a will to follow me. And more than we can do for foster kids, He empowers us. He said, hey, not only will I bring them in, but I'm going to give them the power they need to walk like I want them to walk. And 
I'm gonna, I started to get ahead of myself here, but let's move on with the outline. I want you to think about God's life now for a few minutes, probably in a way that none of you have ever thought about it before. And it's going to be a challenge. Work with it, though. You see, God knows that He has only to think it, speak it, and it's done. Can you imagine having that capacity? Think it, speak it, and it's done. Now, God has that ability. But yet, when the Bible talks of creation, everything comes from plurality. What do I mean by that big term? It's not really a big term, but it means that everything has the indication of Father, Son, Spirit. He, God has the ability, but He chose to work in team. Yeah. He, he chose that nothing would be created without the conferring of Father, Son, and Spirit, and from them they would confer upon us the grace and the acceptance. And all of the language of those first days of creation is language of deep thought, of considering together, and that all-powerful team, they, they had it all figured out how the moon's going to affect the tide. They, they had the, how the trees might receive the breath that we breathe out and regenerate something that we could breathe in. These, these things are just amazing. And for me, this, I'm, I'm big on this one, that sunshine will cure almost anything. Being outdoors in the sun will do something to this body that causes it to regenerate itself. How, how, did, how did that happen? They conferred together and said, we're going to confer our life upon them. We're going to dwell among them. We're going to live with them. And we're going to cause this to happen. Now, you will drive yourself crazy if you try to figure all that out. I promise you. Uh, Job, when God started talking to him about the creation, Job just said, nah, I don't get it. But this I know. Before, I just heard you with the hearing of the ears. But now that you're talking to me about this, my eyes beginning to see you. Folks, that's where God wants to be with you. He doesn't want to just, you to just know that He sees you. I'm telling you, Christy, He sees you. Really sees you. But He wants you to really see Him. Not in His King of the Heavens Although that's very tempting and very attractive to try to comprehend that. But he wants you to see him as your father who brought you into a body of people and said, now I'm going to take you and show you how to think it through, how to ponder it through together, and how to realize what I'm saying. And when you realize I'm saying it, you say it, and it becomes unchangeable. He didn't say memorize a bunch of scriptures and speak it and it's unchangeable. He said, no. Just like the angels, when you realize I've said it, you speak it, and it will be so. But first, you've got to have enough real, uh, relationship to realize he's saying it. And this is foundational, folks. But this is why we've never gotten anywhere, because we haven't gone back to the beginning and saw what, what this was all about. Re creation itself responds to his life. Look at some scripture. There's many of them. I chose to just use two. Judges chapter 5, verse 5, The mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord. 
This Sinai, talking about the mountain, at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. The mountains quake at his presence. We've got presence among us. And I'm telling you, there's some mountains that we keep talking about and giving authority and giving power that they're quaking. You know what they're quaking about? They're afraid that you'll rediscover that name. They're afraid that you'll rediscover who you are and that you'll start to live that name and not just say that name. Because if you do, those mountains will fall. Just, well... Psalms 98, verses 8 and 9. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord. Now, think of this creation itself rejoicing as they watch the hand of God at work. Now, as this group, as, this, as Father, Son, and Spirit worked and created and watched it all come together, just remind you of some Scripture. So, this must be going on, but remind you of the scripture that says that when one sinner comes to repentance, that in the presence of the angels there's rejoicing. Now think about it for a minute. It didn't say the angels rejoicing, although I'm sure they are. But it said in the presence of the angels. Who's in the presence of the angels? Folks, that's the Father Himself rejoicing. Over one that decides, yeah, I'm going to change my thinking then Father Himself rejoices. He, he gets excited about that. Remember the Scripture of Jesus rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. The disciples had just returned from a trip. If you'll look at it this way, it, for me when I first started, it seemed almost irreverent to do it, but I realized I was seeing it, that Jesus kind of gave a test drive to His anointing. When he came up out of the wilderness, he came up believing who he was, and he just started doing some things to see what happened. And, you know, people started getting saved, healed. And once he did that, he knew to fulfill who he was. He had to be able to enable other people to do it. So he, he gave his disciples authority and sent them out and said, You go into the cities where I'll come, and you do what I've been doing. When they came back, they were excited. They said, Oh, Lord. The demons are subject to us. We saw deliverance and miracles. And I, again, this is me with a very, very heavily uh, paraphrased. But Jesus said, oh, it's not about demons showing that they're less than you. That's not what it's about. It's about your life. It's about your character and who you will be that is already inscribed in the heavenlies. Folks, that's the language the Bible is using when it says your name is written in the book of life. It means that God has looked at you and known you. And He's already made it unchangeable in the heavenlies what you will be. He's just waiting for you to begin to respond and to walk with Him and talk with Him and learn about it. So many people want to be what they see on the platform or they want to be what they see on Christian TV or whatever. He didn't design you to be that. He designed you to be you walking with Him. What does that look like? Sammy, He didn't even design you to be a better you. He just designed you to be you. Whatever that looks like walking with Him. I was thinking, man, I, I was getting into some of this rejoicing when you sent me a text this week because the doctors found out that Joe's shoulder wasn't in as bad a shape as they saw it. It looks like they probably made it a little worse when they got in there, but it'll heal. 
This is one of the, this is one of the toughest men in the country. He's here this morning, <laughs> had his shoulder operated on in the middle of the week. But what I got out of that whole thing that you were talking to me about is they done the blood work and they said there's no cancer in his body. Man, that's God. I, that makes me want to rejoice. Hallelujah. Joy unspeakable because there's a fullness of the approval of God on the life of Joe Trees. I'm telling you, we need to give this thing some credibility and let our lives reflect this. But where it says Jesus was rejoicing, he, rejo- he was rejoicing about the fact that it was unchangeable now what these guys would be. He had released an authority and anointing upon them. They had demonstrated it. Now it was forever inscribed in heaven that this is what the body will look like as it walked with him. Wow. Now, at that very time, Luke 10, 21, he rejoiced greatly in spirit. And you know, this, this word rejoice, I've looked at it over and over again because I'm, I'm so handicapped. I, I'm dysfunctional in this way. But it, that rejoice means that he whirled around, jumped and laughed like he was saying, I see it happening before my very eyes. And Jesus got excited. He, he's not the guy in the picture that standing all separate, not being engaged, when he saw what was happening and he saw that he had heard God and he saw that God was walking with him and his disciples, he got excited. He'd done things that would make me have to call 911. That's what the Word said. That he rejoiced greatly. He whirled. He jumped. He shouted. He laughed. He got excited about the hand of God at work among people. Man, we need to get that in our house. I'm going to have to find some people, some men that will designate themselves as shouters around here because my, I'm afraid if I did, my back would give out on me. But you know what? Maybe it'd get healed too. We don't know. But maybe we'll find out at some point. And all these things that we think we're here for, they're somewhat true. Um, but we always think about them of things we must do. That I'm here to win souls. Well... That's somewhat true. But really, I'm here to express forth the good news. And the good news is that we have a king who is our father. And that we, he's already been established. The coronation is complete. The kingdom is not being established. The kingdom has always been established. We're just trying to move our little portion of the earth into it. Now, other, you know, I've got to show people around me his character and his holiness. Well, that's somewhat true. I've got to work for him. You see what's wrong with all three of those statements? It's something I've got to do. And life is about something I need to be. Because it's not about doing. It's about being. It's about being a son in the house. Being a daughter in the house. Uh, the present in the now as a son or daughter of Almighty God. Mike, not that I'm going to overcome all my problems and someday be a son. You're a son. You're a son in the house of God. Now, you have the right and the authority of one that is brought forth by the Father because He wanted family in the earth. Our creation is not about our doing, but about our being. Now, I want to qualify that for just just a moment. 
What if signs, wonders, and miracles are the natural outflow of just being a son or a daughter in the house of God? These signs shall follow them that believe. Believe what? Believe that he sent his son. Believe that he baptized us in the Holy Spirit. Believe that we're empowered. These signs will follow them. We don't follow the signs. They follow us. What if the signs and wonders and miracles are all about just working alongside of him? Carefully learning what he's doing in the moment and then just doing it. Not seeing someone who is sick and thinking, oh, <coughs> something must be done about that. No, but seeing someone who is sick and just engaging them. And at the same time you engage them, you engage him and you're just listening. Father, is there something you want me to do here? You know, sometimes it amazes the charismatic world, but sometimes he'll say, no, not at this moment. Folks, we've got to realize that some people have decided they're not going to follow God. And we need to quit, quit trying to be Holy Ghost tow trucks and towing them in. We need to realize that God will let us know. And if this is a person that we can change their life, engage and walk with them and see what happens. But I'm not going to be able to get everybody. But here's the thing. You can get some that I can't. Why? Because we're different. We're different. You can engage people that I can't engage. Just the fact of my being a pastor puts a big wall up between me and some people. Immediately. I try to run under the radar on that, but then I have people that say, hey, pastor, and I'm right in the middle of affecting somebody, and they say, hey, pastor, and the door goes... <laughs> to some people, not all people. But the thing is, you can reach some, I can reach some, and together we'll reach all that will. You see, every, it's not everybody that will. And God will help you identify those that won't, and He'll keep you from wasting your time on them. Oh, wasting my time on people? Well, I have been guilty of wasting a lot of time on people because I wanted them to come in. I wanted to change them. I couldn't do it. Amazingly enough, some of them, when I let go, somebody else engaged and they were changed. I can think of one person right now, and I'm going to close. I've been going long enough. But I can think of one person right now, and I won't identify them just for that reason. It's because it shouldn't be. But he actually came into the kingdom because his unsaved brother decided that he needed God. That's that simple. He decided he needed God. So his unsaved brother went to him and took him to his house and then told him, you need to go and talk to somebody that can help you find God. And he did that. And this was a man I had been praying for and trying to reach for 20 years. But God sent one who doesn't confess to know God to get him, bring him out, and recommend that he go find God. You don't know how he's going to work. We think we got it all down. The, you know, the, the sinner's prayer, the, the Roman's road, and all that stuff. That, just live it. Yes, stay in the Word. Get, get in it and know it. Be ready for Him to speak within the confines of that. But get to know your Father. 
Get to know your Father. Get to know your Father. The one that brought you into this realm. There's some people that are going to be quiet. Joe, I'm picking on you this morning, but the reason I felt free to give his testimony a little bit because I knew that he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to be up here talking. So I'll talk for him, and he's okay with that. I hope. I hope he won't hit me when we go out. <laughs> I won't give him a chance. I'll run. But <laughs> the thing is, we're different. We're different. Forty years ago, I died a thousand deaths every time I had to take a microphone. I wasn't sure I had anything to say. I was just sure that God had called me to say it. And it usually take me about 10 minutes to go through a week's worth of study. And I'd stumble through that. Today, I don't even have the butterflies anymore. Not because I think I know how to do it, because I know He's faithful. And I know He wants to touch your hearts more than I do. And that gives me the go-ahead to do it. You see, it's about knowing Him and what He has intended that we do. He never intended that you became, become a fashion statement to this world. He never intended that you look like the skinny folks in the magazine. I, I'm telling you, he didn't. He never intended that I would punish my body until every muscle was well-defined. Thank God. Because I am not a well-oiled athletic machine, as you can see. He intended me to be me, and whatever that means with him. And I don't yet know all it means, but I know what it means this far, and it means that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. He has called me forth from darkness, and it's a marvelous light that I walk in. Amen. And I don't walk around fighting devils. I don't do none of that. Yeah, if he rears up his head, I'll deal with it because I'm a son of God, but I'm not going to go picking fights with devils. If you pick the fight and God don't, you lose it every time. But if he has the audacity to raise his head up and try to stop what God and I are doing. <laughs> My big brother, he'll handle him. No big deal. You see, it's different when you understand that my destiny is not to be a perfect representation of this culture, but to be a mature representation of my father. And that's all. <coughs> father, thank you for the privilege of ministering your word. God, thank you for these people. Lord, Lord, I am so blessed to be a part of this house. And you know I'm not just saying that because I'm praying. God, I am blessed. And I know that you're the one that causes it all. God, I ask you to grant us favor in this season, in this city, and to draw people in. Because, God, we've got things in this house that the people of this city need. And we ask you to grant us favor so that we can bring that into people's lives. God, people will be traveling over Thanksgiving. We, we pray that you will keep them safe. But God, also make them a representation of you as they go to various places. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming.